high school uh, girls tournament or league. Um, it was girls wrestling boys and it was very rare, especially in Georgia, that you would see a girl wrestling um, it, against the boys. Um, I remember seeing one girl wrestle um, and she stopped wrestling when she got to high school. So it just was not it was not a popular sport. Um, they actually didn't offer it in the Olympics until 2004. Um, but now we, you've got it everywhere, um, which is incredible and awesome to witness. Um, there are state, states that have sanctioned girls wrestling, including Georgia. It's pretty awesome. I know that this year at the Iowa High School Girls State Tournament, even though it is not sanctioned, we had over 450 participants, wow. which is really incredible. Yeah, it's just – and three years ago there was only 80. So the growth yeah. is just – yeah, it's phenomenal. What do you attribute the growth to? Um, I would say the Olympics for one, mm -hmm. and two, it it's not really a taboo sport anymore as far as girls wrestling. You're you're seeing girls versus girls instead of girls versus guys, which is a little bit more taboo and not necessarily fair, you know, just yeah. given genetics yeah. and the way God made us. But I think that that the growth has really continued because they have started sanctioning the girls sports and you're seeing more of the girls wrestling girls and not just the international senior level um, athletes. You're seeing it more um, in USA wrestling, which is little kids youth wrestling. And like I said, in high school too. Tell me a little bit more about the sanctioning thing. I don't know anything. What does that actually mean? When you sanction? So that means that the, um, State's uh, high school association recognizes the sport as an official sport. Um, so for Iowa, for instance, uh, there is a separate girls um, sports commission and a separate guys sports commission, which is a little bit different than most states. Um, I, don't quote me on this, but I think we are one of the only states that have a separate governing body for girls sports and boys sports. Um, so that makes it a little bit trickier for Iowa to get yeah. it sanctioned, but we are working really hard to get, to get, make that happen. So has there been like, let's say trailblazers and, and female uh, wrestling or people who really got in early and, and became people who set a standard or examples for it? Absolutely. Um, I know that Dan Gable, um, when mm. they were considering getting rid of Olympic wrestling. Um, he really started trailblazing to get the, to make the sport stay um, as an Olympic sport. It was one of the first Olympic sports. And um, a lot of his campaigning for that was saying, hey, 
girl, we've got girls wrestling too, women or women's wrestling, I should say at the Olympic level. And this is going to save our sport. This is going to help continue to bring opportunities for not only uh, male athletes, but female athletes as well. Um, and then you have pioneers like Sally Roberts, who started um, the wrestle like a girl nonprofit, um, which is currently trying to have all of the states uh, sanctioned girls wrestling, which is pretty incredible. That's cool. Um, and she was also on the first 2004 Olympic women's wrestling team for the United States. So that's pretty awesome as well. How was um, wrestling viewed in general around the world? Um, so I would say in the United States, in the South, it's not super popular. It's growing, but it's not super popular in the Midwest, uh, especially in Iowa. It is a religion. Um, <laughs> you know, I, people always talk about football in the South and how they have yes. tailgates and everything with the fans that is wrestling up here. Um, in, especially in Iowa, they have people tailgating before the duels in a normal world pre COVID. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. And then when you talk about international, um, a lot of your Middle Eastern countries and Asian countries, it is really, really popular. Um, Japan, uh, Iran, it's the culture is incredible. Um, I've heard that they have parades um, in Iran before a big <laughs> tournament, which is kind of incredible, if you ask me. Yeah. You like that my cat's making an appearance here? I do, I do. I do. I'm an <laughs> animal do. lover. Oh, that's great. I don't, these, I just like, now I'm doing the video just to see the person, but like, it's just audio. But I was like, oh, there's my cat. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a pretty cat. Yeah, Biscuit, his name's Biscuit. He's pretty, uh, I don't think he wants to be in here, but oh well. <laughs> that's happening right now. So where does this come from? Like, you know, you see like this culture of football and tailgating. Is it just like generational way of life, people growing up like um, parents and, and sons and now daughters are just kind of this generational wrestling thing, family wrestling, you know? I think a lot of it is stems from generational and family, um, especially when we're talking about the Midwest. Uh, you mm -hmm. can go back for generations. And Iowa was actually the first state to host a high school state championship. Um, and at the beginning of the month, uh, it was the 100-year anniversary of that. So Whoa. that is, yeah, pretty incredible. And then I think the more that the sport has become popular with athletes like Jordan Burroughs, who is incredible, um, the, the more the fan following has, has kind of started to grow. Oh, what is it about Iowa that seems to be the kind of the epicenter of um, wrestling? Um, I think it's because it's so darn cold in the winters that mm. there, <laughs> there's nothing to do. So everybody just goes and, and piles up in a gym and watches, watches the wrestling. Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, I had heard that Iowa was big for wrestling as well for that. And then um, isn't the, like, um, was it, is it in Ames? Uh, in the college, wrestling's huge, isn't it? Yes, at Iowa State yes. and at uh, the University of Iowa. 
and at Northern Iowa, Northern where my Iowa. husband actually coaches. Yeah, so it's big at all three programs. They all have had programs for years since the beginning. Um, it's just, it, it's really, it, it's an Iowa thing. It's an Iowa thing. That's yes. kind of crazy. So tell me about your personal involvement. You said, I mean, it's, it seems to like envelop your life with everybody you know, but what's been the excitement for you? With it? Um, I would say being able to contribute um, and help grow the sport is, it, it fills my soul. Um, it sets my soul on fire. And I think that the passion and the intensity that I have for the sport, a lot of that comes from not having the opportunity to wrestle myself. Um, and so I think I just kind of threw all of that passion and frustration and heartache that I had for not being able to wrestle into, okay, so, so what you can't wrestle, you got to find another way to contribute and to give back and to, to fill that, that fire that's in your soul. So what are some ways that you're doing that specifically that you feel like you're contributing? Um, well, at the Dan Gable Museum, I get the opportunity to help do that every day. I am very blessed. I love my job. I have an incredible boss. And some of the things that we are doing, um, back in September, we actually hosted our first all-girls wrestling camp with uh, Olympic broad, yes, with That's Olympic awesome. bronze medalist Randy Miller and world medalist Takara Montgomery. Um, we really enjoyed it and wrestle like a girl, uh, which I was telling you a little bit about mm -hmm. with Sally sponsored it along with Tony Rotundo. He's a famous photographer. His website is, uh, wrestlers are warriors. And the, uh, the camp was completely free for every athlete who attended oh, wow. wrestle like a girl and Tony Rotundo. Wow. That's amazing. It was That's awesome. absolutely incredible. So for women going into the sport, girls and women, what was the stigma before related to it? I mean, there was a time when there wasn't a lot of female sports way back in the day, but especially, I mean, I was, when I was in high school in the nineties, uh, there may have been one girl that wrestled on a team and it was like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, how has that changed in terms of how maybe like even from outside and how uh, girls growing up are seeing it? Um, I think a lot of that all stems from the 2004 Olympics and girls actually being able to see mm. females wrestling and competing and doing it at the highest level. I mean, most sports when there are more, most athletes, when they are young, their dream is to compete in whatever sport that, that they participate in, in the Olympics. And yeah. so to be able to see the, those women competing and representing the United States, I think was the, the main turning point for the way that the United States and the world views women, views women's wrestling. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, more inclusivity and more participation in a sport, which is great. And so is this something beyond the Olympics, what's the other goals in wrestling? Is there a level beyond that or professional circuit? What's the deal? Uh, so yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, we, you have outlets like Flow Wrestling who are offering these elite level athletes who are training for the Olympics. They offer 
um, live events, especially with COVID going on right now and mm-hmm. not being able to have fans. They've been doing a lot of live streaming events and you're getting to see a ton of matches from guys that you might only get to see once at the Olympic trials, but now you're getting to see more. Um, and flow wrestling has got it set up to where they're able to pay these athletes, um, a nice, a nice amount to come out and go and compete. Um, mm. But as far as professional, like MMA, UFC, I think wrestling is getting there. Um, we're working towards that, but we aren't quite there yet. Interesting. I didn't even know there was anything working towards it I, for that. What, what do you envision that being? Um, oh, man, my husband would really be the one to talk to about <laughs> this. But I envision it kind of set up like a UFC or MMA Mm -hmm. um, outlet where you have those fights or matches that line up. And the more that wrestling grows and becomes popular, I don't think there's a reason why we can't have a million viewers tuning in to watch, you know, two Olympic athletes compete. Yeah, I actually think it'd be really amazing. I love watching the wrestling during uh, the Olympics. And I'm sure that must have been hard because they had to reschedule the Tokyo Olympics to this year. Um, and I'm sure that probably threw off a lot of the training schedules for a lot of the athletes and, and all the sports, but I'm sure wrestling as well. Oh, absolutely. And then you also have to factor in a, a lot of those athletes had plans after the Olympics. You know, a, mm. a lot of them, this was going to be their last Olympic training cycle. Um, And some of them had to make the tough decision, you know, do I continue to put my life on hold, so to speak, to continue my training for the Olympics, or do I need to move on? You know, Mm. did I have plans? Did I have a job offer, you know, where I started in September and now I've got to make a decision. Do I continue to do my training and push everything back a year or is this a, a sign and I need to step away from competing? Yeah. Wow. That's I never thought about it that way. That's an interesting way of looking at it. So, you know, I've heard you say Dan Gable a couple of times, and I think the name is very recognizable. I would love to learn more about the story of Dan Gable from your point of view. What makes him such a prominent figure in wrestling? Oh, so that one is, is, um, very simple yet hard to answer. Um, there's so many layers to Dan, um, He is a local, the museum that I work at is in Waterloo, Iowa, and he is from Waterloo. So that's pretty incredible. He was an incredible athlete um, throughout his high school and college career. He only lost one match and it was his final match in the NCAA tournament. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And then after he, you know, he, he took that loss and um, he used that loss to, push him to train harder and to be a better student of the sport. And then he was able to win the 1972 Olympics, which was also incredible. And then a few years after that, he got the coaching position at the university of Iowa. Um, And he was an Iowa state boy. So when you wrestle at Iowa state and then you go coach at Iowa, you know, a lot of the fans were not happy about it, but (laughs) He ended up doing incredible things at Iowa and broke so many records and won their first national title for wrestling. And he just, he, 
he broke down so many barriers. So you've got Dan, the athlete himself, who broke down so many barriers. And then you have Dan as a coach who just blew all the records out of the, out of the water. And then you have Dan as, as a humanitarian who was doing things, even though he was out of the sport, as far as coaching goes, he was one of the main um, advocates for keeping saving the Olympics, uh, wrestling in the Olympics. So he's got so many different aspects and layers to him. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a few stories and things. Seems like an incredibly hard worker, like an insanely big exercise guy. Oh yeah. He still works out every day and he's (laughs) 72 years old. Oh, is he? Yes. And works out and sits in the sauna every single day. (laughs) It's really just about that. I have a lot of respect for wrestlers because um, I was a collegiate track and field athlete and our locker room was right next to the wrestling team. And in high school, I used to train with some of our wrestlers as well. And I remember thinking like, this is a brutal sport. Like this is the training is brutal. And I could identify with that. And obviously it's not the same with track and field, but running a lot is very brutal too. (laughs) But just the, just the fact that, you know, you go into, um, the wrestling room. And, and if you've never been in like, you know, the wrestling like room in places, it's kind of a strange place. It is. Like, it's like a different smell. smell. The smell. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. It's a weird smell. And like all the guys back then was just the guys that are just like, it's kind of look like they're like in game of Thrones or something. And it was like the ears, the whole cauliflower ear thing. It's like the disformed, disfigured looking people. <laughs> and they wear it with pride. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like a trophy, you know, that's permanently attached yeah. to your body. But it's weird. They're walking around. these like blown up ears. And it's just yep. strange. But like, man, the intensity of practice. Incredible. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Like some of the fittest people I think on earth have to be wrestlers. Oh, yeah. And toughest. I mean, tough. Oh, it's being locked up. I know. Different positions. Just exhausting. 100 percent exhausting and i was like man these, these are the toughest people right here they're <laughs> they're mangling their ears i know <laughs> and they keep going back for more like yeah. they're they're not even complaining about it they just keep going yeah i mean what's the psyche of somebody who loves wrestling in your mind um extremely passionate um extremely intense and hardworking and dedicated. Um, I think that's kind of what wrestling teaches all of us, whether you participate in the sport as an athlete or you participate in other aspects, it teaches you to give 110% no matter what. Um, It teaches you that there's always room for improvement. You can always grow. You can always get better. There's always more to do. And you leave everything on the mat, no matter what. Every single day you come in, you give it your all, you leave it on the mat, you wake up the next day and you do it all over again. There's something, something humbling about sports like that where, um, you know, you're interlocked with someone else and you get humbled pretty regularly, I think. I mean, a lot of guys oh, yeah. like win a lot, but there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a sense of like that's just, just connectivity with two people who are in these different positions where they're grappling with each other and yep. being that close to somebody and winning and losing there's a real sense of, I think, 
humbleness to that, you know, and shake. I always loved in wrestling. I used to see people get up, they shake the hands. Yep. A lot of sportsmanship in wrestling, I remember. Yeah, there's not really a lot of room for ego in wrestling. You yes. Know? There's you're winning and you're losing. There's there's not there's very few athletes that go their whole career and don't lose. Yes. Um, and I personally, from a coach's wife standpoint, I know that the losses are where you learn your most and where you grow the most. Um, not necessarily your wins, you know. Uh, so not to say that you don't learn or grow from your wins, but the losses and adversity is really where you have to dig deep and find out what your character is and what you're really made of and get back up, dust yourself off and go again. You know, and one of the other things I thought was very similar to as a collegiate athlete, and I would go to wrestling meets and cause I'd like to support the other athletes was that I felt like their day was very similar to mine at competitions because as a runner, you're running three, four or five times in a day. So you're constantly warming up, getting competing, coming back, resting, warming up. And I felt like that was similar for wrestlers and you're going through the rounds. Oh yeah. Go through a typical kind of tournament for a wrestler. So you get there typically the weigh-ins are first thing in the morning. So you are. Explain that by the way, the weigh-in. Some people may not understand that. So you have a weight class that you choose to wrestle in and um, for most states and colleges i know for ncaa all ncaa athletes you have to take a um hydration test to make sure that when you're down to the weight that you want to wrestle at that you're still hydrated and you're not Mm -hmm. unhealthy and it's not causing permanent damage to your body um but anyways once you do that and you figure out the weight that you're going um you have to make that weight at every tournament and depending on how long the tournament is you might have to weigh in on Thursday, but then you also have to weigh out on Friday night and then weigh in Mm, again on Saturday. I didn't know that part. Yeah. And, um, for those three days tournaments, they'll usually give you like a two to three pound allowance. So let's say you're making 103 pounds. Well, by the time Friday rolls around, it could be 105 or 106 pounds that you're having to weigh. So you get a, a little bit of leeway there. Um, but you have to weigh in when your tournament starts first thing in the morning before the tournament starts, then you have to mentally prepare yourself for your mat, your first match that you're going to have. Um, and then after that, depending on how, how the bracket falls, how big the bracket is, you could have a few hours in between your next match um, that you have to make sure that you're resting, but also give yourself enough time to get warmed up again. Uh, you've got to watch the intake of food and water that you're having, because like I said, you still have to make that <laughs> weight. be the worst part. <laughs> yeah. You can't just go binge and drink a gallon of water and rehydrate mm-hmm. yourself and, you know, have some fruit snacks. It's not, it doesn't always work out that way. Um, so for the longer tournaments, it can be pretty brutal um, on an athlete's body, making the weight and still having to compete and trying to keep your body at a hundred percent the whole time and keeping warm and hydrated and, giving your body some protein so that you have energy to run off of it's it can be it can be hard you know what that's just a whole nother can of worms as i think about i never thought about that for my buddies who are wrestlers in college like you know for me it never mattered you know what my weight was when i was running um when we were all very thin and fit and stuff but how does that work during like for let's say in collegiate programs especially there's 
has that changed a lot? The nutrition and the science who works with the athletes, because that could be hard to maintain that over the course of a week and in competitions. Oh yeah. They, they have improved so much. Um, most colleges, especially division one, they've got um, a nutritionist, um, at least on staff somewhere in the college that will help out with the wrestling program. And a lot of these guys, um, in order to cut the weight and do it healthy, um, it's got to be like a six to eight week plan, you know, where you're mm. slowly getting yourself down and ready to compete before the season. So that way, when the season comes, you don't have 15 pounds to lose. You know, you've been losing a, a pound or two a week for the last eight weeks. Um, and uh, I know for a lot of colleges, once they get those guys down to their ideal weight for the season, they will sit down with them and come up with a meal plans to make sure that they're getting the correct nutrients and proteins and vitamins that they need while also weighing out the food. So they're not eating too much of it. So they're mm -hmm. not gaining that weight back. Um, but I know a lot of, especially when you talk about Olympic athletes too, a lot of them will hire nutritionists that will yeah. sit down with them or a dietitian and they'll meet up with them once or twice a month and go through everything, um, and do the meal prep list for the week and give them the recipes so that they can make sure that everything is, is hitting all the bars that they need. So intense. And it's just another part of the aspect that's, I mean, a game that's a lot of athletes pay attention to, but this is like a consistent thing to make a weight. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, it has Wrestling to be. Wrestling really is a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I always noticed that like when I was in college, our wrestling team, it was like this weird, um, I don't know how I explain it. It was like this weird fraternity. But I mean, a lot of athletes feel that, but in wrestling, it was like, they all lived together. They were like eating the same thing. It was like this collective cyborg unit. 100 right it's weird actually <laughs> it is. you know it is. <laughs> wrestling is a completely different breed yeah um yeah it's it's strange i love it so much though um, no it's great I can't get enough but yeah it's it's very weird compared to other sports yeah it's just even like the the wrestler's body type is a very unique body type I don't yep. nobody take this the wrong way. It was kind of like a caveman looking, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it's like it's kind of like, <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. Big head and stuff, man. And just yes. like the neck, the thick necks, the, thick yep. Neck, yep. the big <laughs> neck. So that's what I'm saying. And then when you have the cauliflower ear, it just looks like an ogre, you know, <laughs> it's yeah, right? Like, it's like a, it's a meat head. It's like, yeah, just, <laughs> you know, and just have this walk. It's kind of like this primate thing. And it's just yes. kind of like a strange look. You very know, like, primal yeah and it's just it's kind of like that they're on the ground so much you know and that in that position it's like i know every time they will walk past us i'm like that dude's definitely a wrestler <laughs> he looks like <laughs> yep. a wrestler <laughs> you can spot one a mile away yeah but i i didn't realize how intense the the weigh-in aspect of it i thought it was just when they got there i didn't know it was throughout the weekend for tournaments, yeah, depend, yeah, depending on the tournament. But yeah, yeah, it's intense. It is intense. Yeah, I, I would imagine. So now, is, an, is a wrestler allowed to move up and wait throughout the season or move down? Oh, yeah, they can. Um, it depends on, uh, so for USA level, it's 
a lot easier to, to move up and down weights because it's younger kids. Um, okay. For high school and college, I would say it's a little bit more difficult just because you have to wrestle off. So it, let's say, you know, I'm at 103 pounds and I want to wrestle 112. Well, there's Joe Smith, who is the 112 pounder, well, I now have to beat him in order to have a starting spot hmm. at 112 pounds. Yeah. Do you ever have wrestlers who like make it their goal to try to win at eight, like a different weights, weight classes type of thing? Yeah, you do. You do get those. Um, that would be it, hard. I would think extremely hard, Ex extremely hard. Um, because that's got to be such a well thought out process um, mm. in your postseason um, because you don't, if you're going up a weight class, you don't want to put on 15 pounds in fat. You want to put on 15 pounds in muscle, you know? Yeah. So you've got to have a plan, making sure you're getting that extra protein in that your weightlifting is, is doing the things that you need it to do to help build the muscle in the right spots. Um, you've got to do it healthy. You, if you don't do it healthy, you're not going to be very successful, at least in my opinion. It's got to, your body just can't take it. Wrestling is so tough on your body that you really have to treat your body like a temple and listen to it, be aware of what's going on, um, and take really good care of it. If you, if you want to go up or down in a weight class, you just got to make sure that your body is, is in the best health that it can be. Is there any, is there ever a worry in wrestling about disordered eating with athletes because of the weight requirements? Um, so I, I would say, of course, there's always a worry no matter what sport. Um, but I personally have not experienced or know anybody who has experienced an eating disorder because of wrestling or because of their weight cutting. Um, I know kids that have been so sick of cutting weight that they're like, I'm done with this. Right, and they right. go up, you know, in the next season, they might jump up three weight classes and they're like, you know, I'm, I'm never cutting weight again. I am done. Um, I'd say that happens way more um, than the other way around. Like I said, I don't know of any cases of a wrestler growing or forming an eating disorder because of the weight cutting, but I'm sure it's happened. Um, just not to anybody that I know. Yeah. I never noticed that either whenever, and I was around wrestlers constantly in college. It was never a thing. I mean, certainly in my sport, it was definitely a thing. Um, but I wonder if the mechanisms behind wrestling make that much harder in the sense of this, the grappling and uh, being close. I don't know. I have no clue about that, but I, I, I just wondered if that was, and especially now that you're having more and more participants of different genders coming in, I wonder if that might be a concern. That's kind of what I was asking as well, you know? Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point. It, it could very well um, become a major concern. I hope it does not come a major concern. Um, but it, you know, I never want to say never because. Yeah. I remember I, like I had a, a really close friend who was a, a big time college wrestler. I think it was in Nebraska and another big place, I think, yeah. for wrestling. Midwest. And Midwest. <laughs> and he was detailing to me, I mean, this was well over a decade ago about it was sometimes dangerous cutting weight and mm -hmm. some of the different things people would do to try to cut weight. Is there like uh 
a monitoring system for that now is better? Because I think sometimes guys are wearing the big plastics, you know, yeah. suits and stuff. And you that's know. illegal now. Okay. You, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to cut weight in the sauna. They've got so yeah. many more regulations now, Great. especially with college wrestling and USA wrestling. Um, uh, like I said, with the um, hydration test to make sure yeah. that you're at that weight and your body is still hydrated is also key. Um, of course, though, I also hear that there are ways around faking oh, the hydration test. Okay. You know, I think it's one yeah. of those things where you come out with something new and then give it a few months and then people are going to try and, I don't want to say yeah. cheat the system, but cheat the system. Is that a prevalent thing? Like with um, wrestling, let's say in the Olympics and things of like performance enhancing drugs or things of that nature? Oh, I think it's way too regulated for the Olympics. Really? As far as in the United States for that to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a positive way, but they are really on top of it in the United States um, with testing athletes for all different sorts of performance enhancing drugs. Um, I know they get tested regularly and a lot of times it can be random too. From what I understand, they can give you, you know, like a few hour notice and say, Hey, we're on our way to your house to come get a test done, you know, and you, and if you, it's not even Olympic year and these athletes are still getting tested randomly, you know? So if you want to participate, you, you have to do what they, what they ask. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. So in, in this whole thing that, and you're working, what's the relationship like when you're always around wrestlers? Is this like a world you're constantly bathing yourself in? Do you ever feel like, man, I, I'd like to do some other stuff or I don't know. What's that like? You know? I, I love it. I yeah. could not have asked for a better job, um, a better opportunity. I, I'm one of those, I'm a workaholic now. So when I go home, I have a hard time shutting off work mm-hmm. and not working. Um, I have to remind myself regularly, like you've got to fill your own cup up. If you don't fill mm-hmm. your cup up, you can't pour into others. Um, yeah. So that's something I'm working on, but I can never get enough of it. I could never be sick of it. Um, <laughs> it's it's like a drug. I, I, if I could have an IV hookup of wrestling, I would. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Do you, I was wanted to ask you something. It popped back in my mind was, I remember watching that movie, uh, Foxcatcher. How was that movie received in the wrestling community? Um, it was positive. I think people were, were, I don't know if happy is the right word because Dave Schultz was yeah. and is an icon. Um, he was an incredible human being. He bridged gaps. Um, within the wrestling community, especially internationally. Um, And he had a real sense of community and wanting to give back constantly. I mean, the man learned Russia, so he, Russian, so he could watch Russian videotapes to learn the knowledge and their technique and breakdown that they were doing. Um, Dave, Dave was incredible. And we still, the wrestling community still feels the whole, um, that happened when DuPont murdered Dave, but I think that the wrestling community was happy or pleased that the story of what happened um, with DuPont was publicized and that kind of the whole world, not just the wrestling community could see what happened and how everything went down and um, the 
craziness that was John DuPont. I mean, how creepy was Steve Carell playing that guy? Oh, (laughs) I think Steve did a phenomenal job depicting him. I mean, just crazy. It was, he he did a great job. Yes, very disturbing, Disturbing. very disturbing. I mean, this guy, like so strange, like. Very weird. And if you look up pictures or old videos of DuPont, not Steve playing him, yeah, it the similarities and how he picked up on little characteristics and the and mannerisms yeah. that he did, it was incredible. Steve really did a phenomenal job on his homework playing that character. And Mark Ruffalo was great too. Oh, as Dave was, Schultz. I mean he was phenomenal. Wow. Phenomenal. The whole I, movie was like so well done. Mm-hmm. And I you know, I didn't really know a lot of the backstory and I looked it up afterwards, but I was like especially with Steve Carell, I'm like, this guy, this is such a creepy character. And for yeah. him to play in that well, and just the, the whole story was just incredible. And uh, I felt the loss of Dave mm-hmm. Schultz, you know, towards Zen. I was like, wow, like, what a titan in oh. this whole thing, you know? Gives me chills yeah. to think about. I mean, just incredible. And his legacy is still is still making waves um his son and daughter-in-law just started or i don't want to say just but in the last year started um the dave schultz uh wellness and art center that oh. is in greece yes and it's for the refugees in greece to work out and have mma jiu-jitsu wrestling martial arts arts and crafts just an outlet for these kids these refugees to come together. And um, we are actually going to be hosting a silent auction with them to raise money for the, the wellness center. And Mark Ruffalo donated three shirts from Foxcatcher that wow. he wore in the movie and he autographed stuff. And then he also donated Hulk Hogan pop little figurines <laughs> that he That's autographed awesome. as well. So it, the wrestling community is just, it's, incredible it really is incredible yeah i mean it seems incredible and you know it's funny when i was i wasn't even planning really looking for to talk to anybody about wrestling on my podcast i just i don't have any idea what i want to do i just i get a sense when i scroll through somebody's profile or i'm just like oh okay you know and i saw yours i was like i have to do this <laughs> i was calling me i don't know I just it. something about it just your passion. I see your posts on LinkedIn about it. You're so passionate about wrestling. You're really living it. And, and obviously the stories are amazing. I mean, so thank you so much, Becca. No, thank you. I was uh, looking through your podcast when you first asked me some of your episodes and I told my boss, I was like, man, he does a little bit of everybody. Like, (laughs) I don't, I don't see any subject in here that I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't want to know about this. It's all like really cool stuff, but so it's so many different spectrums. Yeah. I love it. I, I think it's just life. It. You know, yes. life is full of different things. And, uh, you know, one day it could be talking about wrestling like to th- today. And then like, I think next week I have a guy on from Colombia who works with the CIA in Colombia with like exposing drug cartels. That like is incredible. organized crime. Like it's awesome. I don't know. I just want to, I just want to talk to different people and see. I love it. I so, absolutely love it. Yeah. So you don't have to like, like everything about my podcast, but there's something for everybody. It's a playlist. Yeah. It's a mixtape. It is. And it is. You just listen to whatever you want to listen to, you know? So 
but I really love that. I think it's, I think it's incredible. And I haven't seen a podcast that has such a broad spectrum like that besides Joe Rogan. So I'm all about, I'm all about it. I think it's incredible. Yeah. And even he is primarily like uh, comedians, MMA people and like scientists, which is great. There's a lot of very, I wanted to go even further. I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk to like sex therapists, uh, just whoever, you know, sports people, musicians, literally anybody who I think is interesting. Well, me. I love it. So, yeah, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, Becca, you have a great rest of your day and we will be in touch. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Dr. Darian. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.